Hello, and welcome to the Canadian Church Planting Podcast. My name is Ben. I am the host of the show. Glad to be with you today. Today in the show, we have Russell DeGraff. Russell is a church planter in Ontario's north, in a small town somewhere out near Thunder Bay. He'll tell us about it. He's been there just about a year, but he has a lot to share about what planting in the north is like, some of the specific challenges of being in a small, isolated town, but some of the, the blessings too. He shares about how God called him there, how they got started, and a lot about the need. Lots of places in the north have just incredible need, very, very few churches, if any at all. And it's uh, hopefully encouraging and inspiring to hear Russell share about what's going on and also how a lot of us can be involved with helping plants in the north. I think you're going to enjoy this interview. Uh, in other news, this podcast is brought to you by the Grace Network. The Grace Network is a church planting network in Canada. It's not very big, but it is Canadian, and they help Canadian churches and Canadian church planters get started or replant or multiply or do all sorts of things. Uh, a wonderful little network. I encourage you to check them out. They, you can see more about them at gracenetwork.ca. But for now, on to the show. All right. Well, uh, hello, Russell. Welcome to the show. Great to have you on today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Okay. First questions first. This is for all of us ignorant Southerners. Uh, where is Manitowoc? Where, what, what are we talking about when we talk about this town? So if you're able to find Lake Superior on the map, which is the <laughs> northwest <laughs> one of the Great Lakes, you go to roughly center on the lake and you just trace your finger up. And if you see Marathon, you're pretty close. Uh, which is right on the shore of Lake Superior, and Manitowoc is about is northwest of of Marathon, about an hour drive. Not not on Lake Superior, like you're no, inland so, from the, the lake. And that makes a big difference. Um, the, you can have ten to fifteen degrees difference between Marathon and Manitowoc just because of the proximity to the lake. They have much more mild summers and winters. We have much hotter summers and colder winters. <laughs> Great. Good for good for you. And uh, Manitowoc, uh, about how many people? 2,000. 2,000 people. And the nearest big city. So Marathon is is not super big, right? Big, no, big, a big town, 4, small city? So. Oh, okay. Small, not, not very big. And uh, But Thunder Bay is about how far away? Thunder Bay is four to four and a half hours. Okay. That's like if you're going to the big city, that's where you're going, or maybe to the Sioux? Uh, yeah, they're, they're basically almost the exact same distance away. They're both uh, around four and a half hours. Okay. All right. So now we've got ourselves situated. We're north of Lake Superior. We're in a small town up there. Um, how does one end up in a place like that to plant a church? It seems quite distant from, from most of our experiences. What, what in your background prepared you for this? Like, how, how did you end up there? Um, I mean, there's a bit of a story to um, what kind of prepared me for that, which I guess I can share. Uh, I got into tree planting 12 years ago, uh, and I did 11 summers of it. And while I was in tree planting, I've, you're naturally very isolated. You're in a bush camp. You're far away from all society. And I was blessed enough to have some fellow believers in camp but we were all struggling with isolation from church communities. So I started organizing Bible studies and leading them. And we kind of became a little microcosm of the church out in the middle of the Northern British Columbia forest. And God really worked through that. Um, I got an opportunity to, to see um, believers growing in their faith in a setting where usually it's the opposite. 
and even a couple people came to faith through um, just those situations and the different believers in camp and when I became a crew leader I would hire a lot of Christians to continue to provide that community in that setting and so over time I just felt that those experiences were God preparing me for something bigger um, and I felt and that's ultimately it was through all that that I came to church planting but I've had the conviction that this was preparing me for going to places where most church planters probably wouldn't be inclined to go so my criteria was simply um, northern remote and where no one else seems to want to go <laughs> nice um and are you from bc or where did you grow up like grew, how did you get no northern? i grew up right in the yeah. gta i grew up in burlington okay oh nice um and did you ever tree plant like in in the manitowoc area or was this sort of like when you went looking for a, a call or a place to church plant this town popped up but you had never actually planted churches or planted churches planted trees in that area before it's the second one i did all my tree planting in northern british columbia okay. and um then ultimately just was open to whatever god was leading and yep. um this popped up Cool. And uh, you're married. How does your wife feel about small town, northern things? Is, is she from the GTA too? Or is she a, no, a small she's town girl? No, she's actually an American. And okay. I, <laughs> nice. I went looking for a wife with this in mind. We've <laughs> only been married for a little over a year. Okay. And we, we were actually discerning where God was calling us as we were both engaged. Um, she was a missionary. Her parents were missionaries in Mongolia. When, so she lived there from ages 6 to 12 and was actually in the process of preparing to go back there when I met her. And so uh, when, we got, when we got engaged, the idea was we tested both of our callings because, of course, we can't, both, we can't do both separately. <laughs> we can't go to Mongolia and plant in small town uh, Canada at the exactly. same time. Right. But we, it was a big part of what brought us together was a similar calling on our lives, being called to a similar sort of setting. And so we basically tested both of those visions to see where we felt God was calling us together. And the doors were closing in Mongolia at the time and opening here in Manitowoc. And so tell us what was going on before. You, I mean, I know a bit, little bit of this story you've told me, but like... Uh, there, there was a, an older pastor in the area. He was doing some work, right? And so just tell us about how that kind of opened the door for, uh, for the church plant eventually. Yeah, so I ended up uh, at a Feb church in Coburg, Ontario. So that's where I was living at the time. And I w had been recommended it's, uh, uh, multiple times to try church planting. So I became a church planting apprentice. And I shared my vision for going to somewhere remote northern even cold and that i was i didn't feel like i was called to the same kind of places that most of the other church planters were in you know suburban sort of settings in fact i've never really felt like i fit the mold for that and so I, there's a feb pastor who is in a town called scriber which is about two hours away from here and he it's kind of in the no man's land between Thunder Bay and Sault Ste. Marie, there was very little solid biblical um, church presence in the region. So he was preaching in uh, up to three towns per week, um, covering this, uh, driving over two hours each way to some of these towns, including Manitowoc and another town called White River. 
um, and he just felt driven by the need. And so I was put in contact with him because, I mean, they were advising him, you can't keep this up. You're in your 70s. You're supposed to be retired and you're doing more than um, most full-time yeah. pastors. Yeah, exactly. So that's I was put in contact with him. And so I've, I'd always been dedicated to the idea that I didn't want to just plant a church where I wanted to plant a church, but rather I wanted to look to meet a need that was already present um, rather than assert uh, a vision on a region. And so I tested that and I've, we've both my wife and I felt that God was calling us to this. Mm-hmm. Um, so was there like a, like a small group of believers like in Manitouage that uh, this older guy was preaching to? Like, and so like, was there like a little core group for the church plant kind of already incubating or forming in some way? Is that, is that right? That's exactly right. Yeah. So there was a group there. They had, there's not, my town at least has a evangelical church. A one, the group that I've taken over was not in their views but they were making the be- making it work the best they could because they felt you know driven to be in a community of believers but in this particular situation there just wasn't the best leadership and basically it got so bad that they felt they could not continue there in good conscience so they had been organizing their own bible studies and just doing the best much as I was in my tree planting se- uh, setting doing the best they could with what they had available to them to try and um, not forsake the gathering of themselves together. Um, but And this happened literally months before I came up, or before I visited the region, and that same pastor um, also ended up um, leaving as well. Okay. Oh, the the older, retired, semi, semi-retired semi no, guy? No, the Oh, the one the who'd past- been part of the, yeah, the other situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah the oh, other situation. So it was kind of open, like this. These folks were kind of around. They were looking for some help, and uh, and you were like, "Hey, I'm interested. I'm coming, or you're hoping to come, or whatever." Um, that that's great. Is there any just before we get into it? Is there anything you do to prepare for that kind of plant? Like you know, so growing up in Burlington, like besides the church planting, uh, or again, again, I'm getting it twisted. Tree planting, and you know, having that northern experience, like. Like Coburg doesn't seem Coburg is a lovely place, great beach, but like, is that how do you train for like this kind of church plant, or is it just like show up and and do your best, even though it's a very different context than than what you've you've trained in? I don't know what the best approach is, but I'd say that my approach <laughs> was more the second option you gave. It was show up and do your best. I I had actually been part involved in a, a more recent church plant before I came to Coburg, so I'd at least been able to observe the process and to some degree participate in it with another church plant and i have found that very helpful and informative so i would say i had life experience that was helpful Um, i do feel like my tree planting experience gave me a lot of training and leadership especially in a remote setting where there's not a lot of support and beyond that feb provided some uh intensive training for like here's what to expect here's how to create a plan and in addition to that i've i've had a coach and mentor through this who uh, checks up on me regularly and gives me uh yeah coaching and feedback um but i i'd say that a lot of it has been learning on the fly yeah 
Yeah, nice. I mean, that's sort of what's expected. I think there's not many places to train for small town ministry because like, often it's bigger churches that have sort of room to, to train people or you know extra funding available. But I think a lot of small town or small churches, it's it's just difficult to have room for that extra person. And for for most of the people I've talked to who are, are planting or working in small town churches, it's just like ah, just get started and you'll you'll figure out along the way uh, kind of what you need. Um, tell us a little bit about the town. Like, uh, is it like forestry, mining? Like, what, what what kind of industries go on in the town? What's it What's it kind of known for? Like, why did why why does it exist? You know, why how did it get started originally and stuff like that? So it got started when uh, copper was discovered in the area. Um, so I think two copper mines originally opened and a town was planned and built up around those two copper mines. And then in the area, several gold mines have opened up. And one of them is about a 35-40 minute drive away. And that was key because, well, once the town was there, forestry also started up. So that's a secondary industry here. Uh, but the, both the copper mines have closed down a couple decades ago and the, at, the, at its peak the town was maybe as much, maybe even more than 5,000, at least 4,000 minimum. And so it's shrank a lot since then, but it, the gold mine has kept it sustained and because of cheap housing, uh, a lot of people have come here to ret- uh, to retire as well although once there's health issues it's not a good fit because they don't have all the uh, facilities of a of a fully equipped hospital right yeah um, and tell us about the spiritual climate like what's it like being a Christian there what, what, what have you noticed from from your time uh, even in terms of churches or just give us like an overall sense of of what it's like to be a Christian in a place like Manitowoc one of the things uh, is I, I find there's a large variety of experiences. Everyone's kind of got their own idea of what church looks like as far as those who are believers in the area. Um, and it's not like you in the city, you can kind of find your people that you kind of identify with. And um, But here it's either people learn to get along with people very different than them or they... Um, stop gathering with other believers and kind of have this me and Jesus mentality belief and I've seen both and there's been some people who have been interested but they kind of are cling to their way of viewing things and so it's a little bit of a difficult fit but ultimately um, I mean I think that that's a good and proper thing that believers who are different and have different giftings and bents and preferences need to learn to make it work between one another because we're we're in the deepest sense deeper than blood family and so that's kind of how it is among the believers but as far as the greater climate um, with a large part of the industry here being mining uh, there's a large uh, work hard play hard mentality and uh, there's a lot of addiction among miners with hard drugs as a coping mechanism uh, they make a lot of money. There's an ongoing phrase here: um, a lazy miner will still make 140 grand, um, and meanwhile, your house costs less than 300,000. So you'll have a lot of extra money for toys and drugs. And when I say toys, I mean it, everyone here seems to have motorized uh, recreation vehicles. I'd like say a- ATV or snowmobile and boats. There's almost as like many that. of those on the road as there is uh, regular vehicles. <laughs> Um, is, uh, 
how hard is it the isolation or like the loneliness aspect of things especially as someone not from there is that is that like a pretty big factor living, living up there I'd, there's a high turnover as far as the people coming out here because they come out here whether they're lured out because of cheap housing or work or something of the sort um, and then they find themselves isolated because they've left behind friends and family and struggling to find a community um, the more outdoorsy um, loner types will get along better than the socialites um, because there's not a lot of social hubs here and I mean the biggest difference for my wife and I is at least we had a starting church community to be our community but even then um, most of them are not in our demographic and you just you need to just do your best to make it work mm-hmm um so you, so you have this church, you named it Boreal Baptist, I assume. Did you name it that, or was that what it was called before you got there? No, we, we came up with that name, and it's because uh, we are in the, the eco-region of the Boreal Forest, which is the transition between uh, before the tundra. So because of the way it is in Canada, out in, say, B.C., most of BC is not boreal forest because it has that moderating effect of the coast, whereas in central Canada, the boreal forest where it's extra cold um, comes much, much further south and we are just a little bit into the boreal forest. Even Thunder Bay is in boreal forest. Oh, interesting. Oh. Um, any spiritual significance or does it just like this, like that, yeah, this reflects the region, the, the geography of the, the place? Region. Yeah, okay. Although there's not, there's not like a deep church... spiritual metaphor or something buried in there that well, I missed. <laughs> our church emblem that we came up with has, uh, it has a coniferous tree. You could say it's a spruce tree with roots going down into the Bible. Essentially, we want to be sustained, the trees that are able to sustain through every season. So, is there an innate uh, significant, a spiritual significance? No, but we've kind of made some attachments in how we we're using the imagery and symbolism. Totally. I mean, because like tree is a rich metaphor in scripture. I think you could probably say a lot of a lot of different things about it, uh, all, all kinds of trees. But even just the significance of a tree is giving to to other things, like it's sheltering people or sheltering animals, or it's you know providing you know whatever. There's lots of different metaphors, but um, no, I, I really like it. So I do have a question though. So I, I grew up Baptist, not not a Baptist any longer. But I've noticed many Baptists are moving away from using the name Baptist in their in their church name. And so you, you're starting, and yet you chose to call it Boreal Baptist, not you know Boreal Community Church or just Boreal Church or whatever. So what, what, why did you do that? What, what, did you, what do you like about having Baptist in the name? I think it narrows things down. When people are looking for a church, if it has nothing to indicate what it is, um, it's just harder for people to figure out a church. I've noticed that even when I'm looking for a church and both my theological views and those of the group that I was starting with are Baptistic. Um, now, there's a large variety within that term Baptist, but we believe in the core tenets of being Baptist, which is um, essentially being self-governed and um, believer-only baptism, which are, are the most core elements of it, and having more conservative um, theological views. Yeah. Well, I, I do think there is something to that. Because when you just Google a church, like if you move to a new place or if you're just somewhere for a weekend and trying to find a church to attend, you're like, well, community church c- could be a hundred different things. And you do know if it's named 
Presbyterian or Baptist or whatever it's named, that uh, at least you have an idea of what you're starting with, even if you don't know, well, is it this kind of Baptist or that kind of Baptist? At least you kind of have a general idea uh, of where you're going. I, I like it. I like, I like that you kind of are upfront with that. Have you had any up, upside or downside reaction to that? Or do, do people just generally not care? There could be. I just might not know myself. I haven't. I mean, I I have heard uh, there's a little bit of a reputation in the community that we are the more strict church. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> I don't think I don't know that that's necessarily attached to having Baptist in our name, but rather you know com- compared to the other churches, we're more con- conservative theologically in our views. So I guess um, unbelievers would see that as more strict. Um. Any other challenges that come from planting in a, in, a, in a kind of a small, somewhat isolated town? Anything we haven't hit on yet? They're like, ooh, this is kind of, this makes church planting or, or pastoring more difficult. Anything come to mind? Well, one of the things is, it, it relates to what already you, you've brought to attention, the isolation where I'm the, I don't have any fellow Baptors, Bapt, pastors who are of a similar persuasion as I am or that like I can be, I can trust to be confidants and stuff like that. The closest one is that pastor who ultimately was my means of coming out here. I do go to a fellowship of pastors once a month in Thunder Bay, but that's a nine hour round trip. um, So I can't do that very often. And so most of my contact with other other pastors is um, on the phone or by video calling or something of the sort. Um, In addition, Another challenge of being in a northern remote area is there's limited demographics. Um, for example, we have a token 20-year-old uh, single male in our church, <laughs> and he has literally zero prospects of finding uh, a solid Christian wife in our town because at least I don't know of any, and um, there's limited enough women around his age um, and I don't know if any of them are believers. Um, you know, of course, uh, that's unless God sends someone out here miraculously. So, um, well, if anyone listening to the podcast right now, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. we, we have a church for you to visit because I've I, so I, I've heard that about northern towns and uh, you know about Fort Mac and Alberta and other places that that especially are are heavy into oil and gas or mining or forestry tend to be male dominated industries, of course. And some of these towns skew pretty heavily male. And so that's interesting to think about, like, what happens to a church when it's kind of imbalanced one way or the other, whether if you don't have enough females to males or males to females. So, Well, it, it actually gives us the opposite problem to a lot of uh, other churches, cause, which are usually more female dominant, dominated, especially in the younger demographics. Um, instead, we are more heavily male and... Um, yeah, it's just there's limited variety of demographics even available in the town, and it's most are 30s upward, um, as well as kids of those older demographics. And I assume most of like the college university age, like the, the, those 20 somethings are gone because they're away at school or starting a career or something like that. Is that right? Exactly. And then they realize that their prospects both of you know, at least a variety of different types of jobs and of spouses is not where they came from, but rather where they are. And so they usually stay. And that's actually, we had a couple who was very integral to our transition and were a huge part of this startup. 
but they've already moved away because that's exactly what happened to each one of their three kids. Their three kids went to university, stayed where they in the area where they went to university, um, met a spouse, and now they're having uh, these this couple yeah, of grandkids. Yeah, the grandkids, it, get, it gets you. Yeah. And so they basically felt that they had to go so they could see be involved in their grandkids' lives. And, I mean, we we wanted them to try and lure their, their kids to come back <laughs> up. It is a great place to raise kids. It's, yeah. like, one of the amazing things is kids still play outside um, like they did in the old days. They, like, and p- parents aren't freaked out to let their kids just, like, Right out behind her backyard, there's a, a fort made by the neighbor kids that we just let them build um, because that's that's how they play. And it's it's a much more holi- a nat- natural, holistic sort of experience. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit more of that because I do think uh, often in harder places, and even I'm an urban church planner, so it's like, oh, this is hard and that's hard about the city. No one can afford property. They're all moving to the suburbs or whatever. Um, so like, there's there's hard things everywhere, but tell me about some of the benefits, some of the upside of like small town life, small town church planting. And I think you know, kids kids allowed to be kids the way it was maybe a generation ago. Um, yeah, that's got to be one of the upsides, but tell me about some of the other ones. Yeah, so it's... If you like the outdoors, it's absolutely stunning. I I had a, a relative who let me, my wife and I, take a vacation at their cottage. And even though it was a nine-hour drive south to cottage country, <laughs> uh, quite the opposite. It's the most, opposite for all of us. We didn't have the traffic yeah, issues right. that people in the Toronto area do because we're coming from that's the opposite right, direction. Uh, but it's three times the drive. But I realized it's the same sort of landscape. Just, you know, more coniferous trees, but like we have, we're in the Canadian Shield, there's forest everywhere, like literally all I have to do is go 20 feet, or just past my backyard and I'm already into the woods, and if I keep, and I can go for the next, I don't know, hundreds of kilometers in that direction without running into anything. Um, So it's absolutely stunningly beautiful. Um, You get a real proper winter. I always got frustrated in Southern Ontario with how, Less than half the time, you got a white Christmas, and it was constant all winter long. It was thaw and refreeze, thaw and refreeze. Here, um, you have full winter before the end of November, and you're not going to have a day above zero again until March at the earliest, but probably more like April, maybe even May. Um, you'll you'll have a solid five to six months of winter, and I personally love it. Um, it's beautiful. It's clean and crisp, um, so ultimately the weather and landscape is beautiful. And then on top of that, um, there is an overabundance of work, and the jobs out here pay very well because they're so desperate, and you get remote work pay for a lot of it. Um, it's not that hard to find a job over six digits out here because um, they need people. And meanwhile, the housing is a tiny fraction of what you'll find in the GTA. I know the average house is over a million dollars now. Um, I don't know what the formal statistic is, but most of the houses on our um, realtor website right now are under 300,000. And you might even find one under six digits. So sell your condo in the city and come buy a come buy a house for cash. And come retire at 30. <laughs> come retire at 30. Um, 
yeah yeah th- i think there's a there's a real uh well obviously a real need for it but you know there's there's some real benefits do you have to hunt and fish what if you're like i'm saying what if you're like ah, i don't love hunting i don't love fishing do, do you kind of just need to learn to love it i would say it's it's highly recommended but admit it i love the outdoors but i'm not that's not my predisposition to hunt and fish i've been learning to like fishing um, <laughs> i'm more of to me, it's it's too rela- It's too chill for my preferences, but I can learn to like it, and it's just a good way of connecting with people. Going on a fishing trip, and you just, you know, sit with your rod out and and chat. Um, so if you if you do like those things, um, then you can't find a better place um, than here for that. If you don't like those things, you need to at least love the outdoors. Uh, admittedly, as much as I would love more people um, to come out here. If you don't enjoy the great outdoors and don't have, if that's not your thing and you, you're more of an urban type person, don't do it. It's not worth it to come out here, be miserable, and then have to leave. Um, it needs to be the right kind of fit. But if you love the outdoors, especially if you like hunting and fishing, um, this is your paradise. All right, let's let's talk a little bit more about the church. Um, so just tell us a little bit, like what what does ministry look like for you? How are you spending your time? You said you've been there a little more than a year, right? You said something, or maybe you've been married a little mar- married about that long. I've been married a little over a year. I've I think I'm coming up on 10, 11 months of uh, okay. since the church was planted. Essentially, you got married, moved up there, you know, kind of got started, all that stuff. Um, just, you know, how are you spending your time these days? That's like a pretty, you know, pretty baby church at this point. How do you kind of organize your time and your life right now? I spend every, I spend my mornings um, based doing sermon prep or preaching. I On Saturdays, I'm going to White, driving a two-hour round trip to White River to preach there too because they literally don't even have a single church in the city. Uh, or sorry, not city, town. There are only a thousand people. But <laughs> right. um, so I'm literally the only Like there's just, sorry, let's just, just pause on that. Yeah. Like there's literally zero churches there. Yeah. Or zero pa- zero pastors, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So you're going there every Saturday? Yeah. And it, you said a two hour trip, so like one hour each way or yeah. so? Just, to, yeah, okay, it's well. like 70 minutes. Yeah, just to preach to like the group that's there or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Okay, wow. Sorry. Okay, so you're doing that. Sorry to interrupt. Go on. It's all good. Um, and so, yeah, I, I spend uh, most of all my mornings uh, doing sermon prep and my afternoons. I'm doing different types of admin work or meeting with members of the congregation, just building relationships because um, a huge priority to me in ministry is having real relationships. Um, I still remember I, I did a sermon um, on how doing life together, kind of borrowing that term from oh, uh, Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer yes the, he yeah, wrote right. the book Life Together and yes so I, I kind of I believe that in, there should be a, a real relational intimacy b- between believers in the church so it's important to me that I get to know um, people in my church and they get to know me and that I encourage them to get to know each other's too and I also think it's very important that people have real and authentic relationships rather than those surface level um, ones where you just see each other in their Sunday best on Sunday and just assume their life's perfect so you need to have your life perfect and it's only by having close intimate relationships that you get to know people they're people with fl- with flaws and weaknesses just like you and you can actually um, let your hair down so to speak uh, with them and be yourself um, and they can do the same with you um, so that's that's an important element and i'm also trying to get to know unbelievers in the community too so i can share the gospel with them as well but in a relational sort of way 
Yeah. How, how are you going about doing that? Is it just kind of like you go and hang out at the coffee shop in town or is it, do you have like uh, an outreach program to like, you know, for kids or something or like, how are, how are you going about connecting with uh, unbelievers in the community? So I'm just looking for opportunities to make relationships and then once the friendships formed, um, build them. So for example, most weeks I meet with, uh, well, he's actually the former, um, board member of the United Church who sold us their building, which we now own and meet at. Um, but even though he was on the board, he's self-professed and not a, not a church going man. Mm. Um, <laughs> gotcha. And so I, I jam with, I do jam sessions with him almost every week and it gives us an opportunity to sometimes get into faith talks. Um, and we've gone on some fishing trips as well. And um, okay, oh wow, <laughs> that's great. What are what are some of your dreams for Manitowoc, and really like the northern part of Ontario, the northern part of Canada? Um, like, what what are you hoping to see um, happen? My hope is that there can be a solid biblical, uh, self sustaining church in every town in the region, so that people, those who are believers, truly have a place to be fed to grow and also to and there's a a witness in every town to the gospel so people can't spend their whole life uh, growing up without hearing the gospel and the truth of the matter is even though canada was once evangelized fairly thoroughly um we're now in a, a time when um, we're in a gener- there's like my wife is working at the school and a lot of the kids that she t- talks to know virtually nothing about the Bible. Um, so I would say Canada's reached a point in some parts where um, many people here have never heard the gospel. Yeah, we're po- post-Christian in many ways. So, but I, I guess I have a, more of a practical question. Is like, how do how do we get pastors to places like White River? Like, how, there's there's probably, and that's probably not a unique place. I'm sure there are many like it. Of, you know, some towns between 200 and 1500 people that lack just sort of any sort of church. Like, a, a, any thoughts about that? How do we get people? Um, does Boreal Baptist just need to come like a giant mega church and send people out? Like, how do we how do we get pastors to all of these places? I think that those. I mean, I would love to and hope to have a church that's established and large enough to be able to send out pastors. Um, But in a town of 2000, apart from a remarkable revival work, which I can't manufacture, that ultimately has to be of God, um, it's going to have to come from the more populated areas. I think ultimately people need to hear that call to adventure um, that you see so often in narratives. Um, but this time from in real life from God and that's the call that Paul heard and others like Barnabas, Silas and Apollos and people need to be willing to take that courageous leap and look to um, put comfort aside to store up um, a greater inheritance in heaven and it's going to be hard, it's going to mean giving up things that people value very highly like proximity to family and friends um, but there's many practical things to be gained, as I, I've mentioned, with housing and job. But those things are not sufficient to um, draw people to go and sacrifice those things. It, it needs to be um, a stirring of the Holy Spirit within people to be willing to take such a huge leap of faith. So we can't just give out like Jack London and Pierre Burton books and like hope that people feel like, ah, maybe North. No, I, I'm, I'm just joking. But there, yeah, there is an 
there's obviously a supernatural aspect to this where people aren't going to end up in hard places, uh, you know, pastoring there without it. But yet I also think like there is an aspect of awareness. Like I think I'm not sure that many pastors, many Christians in Canada are aware that there are, are towns of 1,000, 1,500, 2,000 people that just simply have no churches. Not even just like, well, it's not, they don't have my brand of church. No, 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 they just don't have a, a church, you know, kind of period, full stop. And, uh, and maybe that'll be part of them, uh, you know, hearing the call of God to, to go to some of those places. And it's not um, even about the denominational elements because the congregation at Lead in White River, it's, former, it's a mix of former Anglicans, um, former non-denominational, and even some of them are um, Seventh-day Adventists. That's part of why we have our, s- our services on Saturday. <laughs> that's why it's on Saturday. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And, I mean, it obviously works for your schedule, but, uh, yeah, there's an aspect to which that, yeah, you just kind of, in smaller places, um, it's just, you just gather with who is a Christian and you kind of you kind of boil it down to some of the basics as opposed to get, getting stuck on some of those other, you know, more peripheral things. Um, okay. One more, one more question here. Uh, just what, what have you learned? Lessons have you learned about church planting so far? You're, you're uh, almost a year in now as, as you look back and reflect a little bit, just tell us some of the things you've learned. I would say one of the things, the main thing is, I mean, I knew in theory that it was not going to be easy. It was going to be hard work. Um, but actually experiencing that firsthand, it's different. It's like, yeah, this is hard. And even though I feel like Things have so many things have gone unbelievably well, and it's not like I had any like I had a very fortuitous start in many ways. Um, all the drastic changes all, all at once, they just there's so much to adapt to, and you just really feel your humanness and um, that you can't do everything. That ultimately, unless God works, your all your work is in vain, and um, so I guess it's just that. It's humbling and you're going to be stretched to your limits and you're going to ultimately, it's going to be beyond what you can accomplish. And that's going to force you to either give up or rely on God. Yeah. Church planting, almost no matter where the place, always pushes you to this point where you're like, I can't do this. Like there are these problems I can't figure out that no one wants to come, you know, no way, like whatever kind of problem or barrier you hit, you get to this point where like, unless God sort of shows up here, like we're just, we're kind of sunk. And you probably feel that even more keenly in, in the place where you're in with its, with its particular challenges. But, um, I mean, it's a beautiful part where it's forcing growth in you. Uh, you know, you think you're going, not, that is not, I'm putting words in your mouth, but you think you're going uh, to Manitowoc to really serve the Lord and help. And he's like, oh, actually, that's the place where I'm going to work on you. Like, this is the circumstances that you need to be in so that you can grow, um, you know, your own faith, you know, all, all in the way. You can, you can be matured. Um, that's, where, that's where God has you. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing to think about. A- any, any final comments? Anything you'd wish the rest of Canada to know about Manitowoc in the north? I mean, I, I just, I couldn't help myself but to take a shameless plug of at least... <laughs> make, all, make, it, make all the plugs you want. Yeah, go for it. Um, Single women, we've already, we've already <laughs> recruited them. So, yes. uh, but anyone else you want to recruit along the way, go for it here. I would say anyone who is looking for an opportunity to serve God by serving the church, um, you don't need to be a pastor. Um, you don't need to... Um, take a, a low-paying job or or anything like that. Um, we have we have the jobs, we have the housing, um, but there is a real spiritual need, and we and I'd say my desperate need is for um, mature believers who can live in community with both 
less mature believers and unbelievers to be salt and light here um, because having uh, a, like a filled out body of Christ to display him um, with all the gifts and abilities that um, complement um, what I'm trying to do here would be a, a game changer because um, I just feel like we have kind of a skeleton crew um, trying to go above and beyond and there's only so much we can do. I mean, God can work through that and he can do above all that we ask or think, but um, God works through means. And I, I would ask whoever's listening to at least consider if they might be one of those means that God uses to do a work here or somewhere else. Um, beautiful. In the north. Yeah, beautiful. I love it a lot. We will link your church's website in like the notes of this. So if you want to find Russ or Boreal Baptist, uh, you'll be able to get in touch. You want to, you want to plan your, your annual fishing trip somewhere nearby so you can, you can, you can stop and see him on the way. Uh, that would be lovely. But uh, Russell, thanks so much for, the, for taking the time to talk to us today. I really appreciate it. Uh, blessings on your church. And uh, hopefully we'll talk to you again soon at some point. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to the show. If you'd like to get in touch with us, with me, you can email me at canadianchurchplanting@gmail.com. at gmail.com, canadianchurchplanting@gmail.com. at gmail.com. We will talk to you soon.